0: Have you ever come across a passage of scripture that just won't leave your mind? You just, you read a passage of scripture and it just really won't get out of your head? I've had one of those passages of scripture in my head for basically all of 2022. About January or February, I was reading through the Bible and I came to the book of Judges. And I came across Judges chapter 17, a chapter I've read before, but didn't really think much about. And God just stuck this in my head. And it wouldn't leave. And I've just meditated on this scripture, thought on this scripture a while. And when Brother Charlie asked me to preach this Sunday, I immediately knew where I was going to land. Judges chapter 17 and 18 should be read together. We're just going to look at 17 this morning though. But Judges 17 and 18 begins the conclusion to the book of Judges, and this actually mirrors the beginning of the book, where we see idolatry in Israel. We're familiar with the book of Judges, just the, the cyclical book, the, where the, Israel is faithful to the Lord, and they decide they're going to rebel against the Lord, ignore His commands, and they're... Cry out to the Lord, he raises up a judge, they're faithful to the Lord, and then they're unfaithful to the Lord. We see Israel's unfaithfulness, but God's faithfulness to them, in spite of their unfaithfulness. The book of Judges serves two main purposes. Historically, the book of Judges records the period of history between uh, the exciting times of Moses delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, leading them to the promised land and when God raises up Saul as the first king of Israel. This book of Judges marks the dark time uh, recorded there. Theologically, the book of Judges reveals the spiritual ignorance that was taking place throughout Israel during the time of the Judges. In Judges chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, "...and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel." They were faithful to the Lord... But then you look three verses later in verse 10. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. There are seven distinct cycles of Israel drifting away from the Lord that we see in the book of Judges. And as I was studying this, I came across this. There are five basic reasons that we can see that this happened. One is disobedience. In chapter 1, verses 27 through 36, they did not drive out the Canaanites from the land as God had commanded them to do so earlier. They were disobedient to the Lord. In chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we see idolatry. They abandoned the Lord and they worshipped other gods. Intermarriage with the Canaanites. In chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, they lived among the inhabitants of the land. They didn't drive them out. They lived among them and they married them and served their gods. Fourthly, A fourth reason is we see that they ignored the judges. In chapter 2, verse 17, the Lord raised up judges to deliver His people, but Israel would not listen to them. And a fifth reason is that they kept turning away from God. The Lord would raise up a judge and Israel would follow that judge, but after after that judge would die, Israel would turn back to other gods and become more and more corrupt. The book of Judges reveals what people do when they are left to themselves, what you and I do when we are left to ourselves. Without spiritual guidance, people become corrupt, wicked, immoral, unethical, and we turn away from the Lord, and we do what seems good to us. We do what seems right in our own eyes. This morning, especially as we're going into a new year, I want us to consider what we do. What we do, what you do individually, what you do as a family, what we do as a church. And I want us to consider, are we living our lives? Are we worshiping the Lord in a way that seems good to us or in a way That is according to how God says in his word. So would you pray with me as we dive into God's word in Judges chapter 17. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful that you are a God who who is all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You love us. You are compassionate toward us. You show your grace and mercy toward us. And Lord, as we begin a new year, thinking back... On 2022, maybe things we did, things we didn't do, things we wish we would have done. God, as we're looking forward to a new year, may we set our minds on you. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And God, may we worship you and live in a way that is pleasing to you and that is according to how you have instructed us so clearly. Lord, would you guide our time here? Would you speak through me? Would you speak through your word? Would you give us ears to hear your word, eyes to see your word? minds to to comprehend, to understand what you say through your word. And God, would you give us hearts that are receptive to your word and that would respond in obedience to you. Lord, help us to love you more and more. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Read with me in Judges chapter 17, 13 verses. Read with me. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the eleven hundred pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So, when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons, who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. I was talking through this passage with Ivy earlier this week. And I told her, you know, if if you read this text and skip over verse 6, it really could seem like, just kind of passing by, there's not a lot wrong with the text. But when you look at verse 6, which is a very key point in this text, that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is what makes the rest of this text Really, just messed up. It's a really messed up text. What was going on here was it, it, Micah, it, with Micah in his house, was really a picture of what was taking place over all of Israel spiritual ignorance, people just doing whatever they felt like doing. No moral guidance, no person to lead them, just doing what seemed good to them. One thing we see from this text is that the people were ignorant of God's commands. The people were ignorant of God's commands. There was a disregard for God's commandments. And in the first six verses, we see that there are at least six of the ten commandments that Micah and his mother break. At least six of the ten commandments are broken out of the ten commandments that God gave Israel. Micah did not honor his mother. He stole from her. Did not honor her. He stole from her. And from that, we could probably conclude that he coveted the silver she had. Micah's mother used the name of the Lord in vain twice. She blessed her son in the name of the Lord after he stole from her with his sin. And she used the name of the Lord to to dedicate the silver to be made into a metal image and a carved image. They had a shrine. They had other gods besides the Lord. And they made carved images, which is idolatry. At least six of the Ten Commandments are broken here in this encounter that we see with Micah and his mother. And I I was reading this text, and it's kind of strange that Micah's mother responds in the way that she does. If I were to go to my mother and say, Mother, hey, you know that that silver you're talking about that was taken from you? I I stole it. I promise you the next words out of her mouth would not be, Blessed be the Lord. I promise you that. I love my mother, but she would not bless the Lord for that, for me stealing from her. It's a weird response. But this response shows the spiritual ignorance that was taking place in all of Israel. People did not know God's commands. They were ignorant of his commands. They disregarded his word. They ignored the judges. They did what was right in their own eyes. Micah exemplified the spiritual ignorance, the disobedience, and the idolatry of the nation of Israel. I mentioned earlier about Israel ignoring God's commands and disobeying God to drive out all the Canaanites out of the land. In Numbers chapter 33 verses 50 through 56, God instructed the people of Israel in what they were to do as they were entering the promised land. He gave very specific instructions as to what they were to do. And then he told them, if you don't do this, this will happen. In verses 51 and 52, The Bible says, when you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. Why would God say that? Why would God not say, go and, you know, try to influence them for Christ? Why would he say, go? Because he knew the people of Israel were unfaithful. And he knew that if sin, that if other gods were to remain in the land, that the people who were unfaithful, by their own nature, would fall away from God, would turn away from God. And that's exactly what happened. God is serious about, the worship, about his worship and the worship of him alone. And that's why in our lives, we're not to have any other gods in our life. It's because we are to worship God alone. In verse 55 of Numbers chapter 33 He gives the warning of what will happen if they don't. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. We see this is what's taking place in Israel. They disobeyed God's command to drive out the inhabitants. We see disobedience of God The rejection of his commands, being ignorant of what his word says, led to idolatry, led to spiritual ignorance, led to the people doing whatever they wanted to do. God graciously raised up judges in Israel to lead the people of Israel, yet their hearts were set toward other gods. They wanted to live their lives their own way, but cry out to God when bad things happened. When they needed help, when a tragedy struck, when they were being oppressed by the enemy, when they needed deliverance, that's when they called out to God. But as soon as God brought them up and as soon as the leader was no more, they went right back to serving other gods, right back to just doing whatever they want to do. Does that describe your life? Do you just live your life however you want to do? And then when somebody in your family gets sick, you cry out to God for help. God heals them, you go right back to living the way you want to live. A tragedy strikes, something happens, and you just, you live life the way you want to live. But you cry out to God when you need help. That's not what God desires for us. God is there for us. He does hear us, and He does help us. But we are to walk faithfully with God, giving Him our worship, and Him alone. Not only was there uh, an ignoring of the Ten Commandments, of disregard for the Ten Commandments, but there was also illegitimate worship. There was illegitimate worship. When I was in uh, high school, I took Spanish, and uh, I had a friend in my Spanish class, and uh, some of you may know who I'm talking about, but he uh, forgot to do his Spanish homework one day. And he came into class, and he saw us turning papers in, and he went, oh, man, I forgot to do my homework. So he gets his paper, sets it down on his desk, and writes the letter O at the end of every English word. We were to translate from English to Spanish, and he wrote the letter O at the end of every word shirt O, pants O, socks O, shoes O. And he thought he could get by with it. He turned his homework in like nothing was wrong. Teacher grabs the homework she's going through, and she comes across his his work and is like, That's not Spanish. And she graciously called him out in front of everybody, and we made a laughing stock of him. It was great, it was great fun. We, we laughed at him. We kind of made some fun at him. And she did not accept his homework. Why would she accept his homework? It's not correct. But do we think of that with our worship? Do we think of that with our lives? Well, I can just do this. It'll get by. Are you aware that God does not accept all worship? God does not accept all worship. Genesis chapter 4. God accepted Abel's worship, but he rejected Cain's. God rejected the worship of Aaron's sons who offered unauthorized fire before the Lord because he did not command them to do that. Read the book of Malachi. God does not accept all worship. So when you and I come together to worship corporately, when you worship privately, your time alone with God, you with your family, Are you worshiping according to how God has laid out for you in Scripture? Or are you just trying to, as my friend did, just trying to get by and hope he doesn't notice? Thinking he'll accept it and it'll be okay. Micah had a shrine, which is a house of gods, where he worshiped. He sought to worship other gods. He sought to worship probably God in addition to these other gods. That They dedicated these things to the Lord. He had a house of other gods, wanted to worship God along with this. Well, I'll do this and worship God, so that's that's balances out, right? That's good. No, this was illegitimate worship. This is idolatry. This is not worship that God accepts. So, what kind of worship does God accept? If you remember from John chapter four, when Jesus encountered the woman of Samaria at the well, in John chapter four, verses twenty-three and twenty-four. Jesus said that God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Those who worship from a pure heart, those who worship him in truth according to his commands, according to how he has laid out for us in Scripture. God does not want you to live your own way. God wants you to live according to how he has instructed us in his word. Why? Because God's an evil tyrant and doesn't want you to have any fun in life. Just he wants to have a control over you. No. Because God knows what is best for you. The Lord is good. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. He wants what is best for you, but He wants what brings Him glory. And so if you and I go about living lives our own way, we're just doing what we want to do, by our nature, by our sinful nature, we're not going to do the things that please God, and we're not going to bring Him glory. And so God has so graciously given us His Word, given us instruction of how to live, how to worship, so we can live lives, we can worship God in a way that is pleasing to him, God has given commandments and instructions to guide the private, the public, and the corporate lives of His people, both for everyday living and for worship. And we are to study God's Word, to learn His Word, and abide by His Word, to obey it. If you look back at Micah and his mother, on the surface, Micah and his mother may appear to be good religious people. They walk the walk, they talk the talk. They bless the name of the Lord. They give generously to Him. This is the trap of the religious system of the human heart. It seeks to worship God in its own way and not according to what has been revealed in His Word and stipulated in the covenant. Do you worship God in your own way? Do you live your life in your own way? Or do you live your life? Do you worship God according to to how he is revealed to us. In private, personal family worship, in public worship, in corporate worship, as we are gathered this morning, God's given us instructions as to how we are to worship him. We're not to determine for ourselves what seems good. Oh, I think that'll be good. Now, we have different personalities. We, We can apply that in different ways. You know, God doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, go buy a turkey and give it to your friend. But he does say, love your neighbor. And so if you see a friend who's hungry, you you can go buy him a turkey and give it to him. So we can apply that differently. But we look to God's word first. First to see how we are to live, how we are to worship. We're not to determine this for ourselves. We do not have the authority to tell God how we're going to worship him. We don't have the authority to tell God how we're going to live our lives. God is clear in his word concerning how we are to worship him. And why would we want to do anything differently? God has given us such a gracious and loving and great way to worship Him. Why would we seek anything different? Why would we seek anything outside of His Word? His Word is good. His Word is sufficient. It gives us all we need. Why would we look for anything else? God has given us His Word. We're to learn it, to abide by it, to live by it, to worship according to it. There was a disregard for the commandments of God. There was an illegitimate worship. And there was no moral guidance. There was no moral guidance. Verse 6 highlights one of the major themes that we see in this passage and, and some through the book of Judges. That there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The message puts it this way. Everyone did what they wanted to do or what they felt like doing. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Theologically, this is is an indictment against Israel for their idolatry and their rejection of the Lord as its king. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This story of Micah demonstrates what was taking place among all the people of Israel. There's a Hebrew word that's used three different times in the first six verses. In verse 1, verse 5, and verse 6. There was a man, and then in verse 5, and the man... Micah, and in verse 6, everyone, or the King James, every man, makes it a little more clear. That Hebrew word, E, shows that it's not just Micah. This isn't just one person out of the whole nation that's doing this. This This is taking place among all the people. Everybody in Israel was doing whatever they wanted to do. They were not looking to God. They were not looking to His commandments. They weren't listening to judges. They were just living life however they wanted to live. They were doing what they wanted to do didn't matter. They had no moral guidance. They didn't have a care in the world. Just let me do what I want to do. Sounds a lot like our world today. There's a cause and effect relationship between these two statements in verse 6. Because there was no king in Israel, therefore the effect of that is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Because there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Proverbs 14, 11, sorry, Proverbs 11:14 says where there is no guidance a people fall but in an abundance of counselors there is safety where there is no guidance a people falls Proverbs 3:7 says be not wise in your own eyes fear the Lord and turn away from evil and the two verses before that we know trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths verse 7 be not wise in your own eyes fear the Lord Turn away from evil. We're to look to God for guidance. We're not to look to ourselves. We're not to look to anything else around us. Look to God for guidance. To be our guide. Without a leader to lead them in the commands of God, the people did whatever they wanted to do. Whatever seemed good to them. And the same thing goes for us. Without someone leading us in the commands of God, without someone leading you in the commands of God, teaching you the commands of God, and leading you in obedience to them, You and I will do whatever we want to do. And don't think it's not you because you do it. I do it. Without looking to God, without God's word just governing your lives, you're going to do whatever you want to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. In our daily lives, in our public lives, in our worship. That's why when we gather together for worship, we read this. We preach this. We sing this. Because this is what guides our worship. If we didn't have this, just do whatever you want to do. That's not pleasing to God. As I was reading this passage, I was thinking about myself, Brother Charlie, Brother Don, Brother Jason. We have a responsibility that God has given us to lead you, to teach you the commands of God, to teach you how to obey them. From kids to students to adults through song, we have the responsibility to lead you in the commands of God we must know them we must live by them we must teach them we must lead you in them and you as the church you have the responsibility to learn them for yourselves and to obey them for yourselves because that's what God desires for you and also so if one of us or all of us or if we're not leading you according to scripture you can go ho ho God's word says this why are you saying that God's word says do this why are we doing this We're to work together. It's all centered on God's Word. Each of us must know God's Word so that we can obey it. We can live by it. We have some, this is a new year, a new year to start, a new Bible reading plan. We've got several Bible reading plans out here in the Welcome Center. We've got a few that are throughout the year, one Bible through the year, one's an Old Testament, one's a New Testament. We've got one that's a harmony of the gospel. So each story that you see in the gospel from each different writer that's the same story, you read it at the same time. One's from the Sermon on the Mount. Why don't we provide Bible reading plans for you? So that you can read the Word of God. You can have a guide to study the Word of God throughout the year. Every day to learn it, to commit it to memory, to meditate on it, to worship God, to, to submit your lives to God's Word. Because God's Word is the authority of our lives, not ourselves. But that's what our culture believes today. That we're our ultimate authority. That the inner self, that your feelings get to govern what we want to do. God's word, let's not look at that because that's mean. That tells me I can't do stuff. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's what our culture says. We can just do whatever we want to do. Be whoever you want to be. It doesn't matter what God's word says. But we know better. We know better. God has given us his word to lead us and to guide us. What this reveals in our culture is the same as that it revealed in Israel's culture in this day that there was no moral guidance. There's a lack of moral guidance. But we do have moral guidance. We have God's Word. We're not without this. We all have a copy of this. If you don't have a hard copy in your hand, you've got it on your phone. We have God's Word that we can study to lead us and to guide us. It's are you doing that? Are you looking to God's Word for your life? Are you looking to God's Word for how you're to worship, how you're to live? Many people in our country, they reject, they deny truth because they want to do what seems good to them, seems right to them. I don't want to be this because I want to be this. I don't have to do that because I want to do this. It doesn't matter what God says. But let's look a little closer in at ourselves. Many of you, many of myself, we reject God's truth in our own life because, one, we either don't know it because we're not studying God's word, or two, we would just rather do what we want to do rather than looking what God has said to do and following it. Do you know God's word? Do you study God's word? Micah ignored the commands of God. He was ignorant of God's commands. And this was a picture of the whole nation of Israel. And what this led to was the institution of man-made religion. They were ignorant of God's commands, and this led to the institution of man-made religion. Micah created his own religious system. If you look at Judges 17, you kind of read what's going on. Micah created his own religious system. He did not follow anything that God was saying. we looked earlier, he ignored at least six of the Ten Commandments. He created his own religious system. He and his mother gave blessings and sacrifices in the name of the Lord. Yet this was done dishonorably and in vain. He had a shrine. A house of gods. He made holy garments, an ephod. And he made idols, household gods, or teraphim. He ordained his son as a priest, even though he was not a descendant of Aaron nor a Levite. He was getting his whole family involved. Get my mother involved, get my son involved. He worshiped God in his own way rather than according to how God revealed in his covenant to Israel. When I read this text, I had to stop and think about my personal worship, my private worship. Do I worship God privately in the way that God expects me to worship Him? Do I spend time with God? Do I abide in His Word? For without His Word, without Him, I can do nothing. Do I abide in God's Word? Or do I just do my own thing, whatever seems good to me? That seems like a good thing to do. I'll do that. But there's nowhere in Scripture that says to do it. How am I worshiping myself? How am I worshiping in my home? Myself and God. Am I setting up idols in my home? I'm thinking more... A lot of you have told me this, but having a kid changes everything. It changes everything about how you think, how you live, what you do. And I'm thinking more about how I worship. How I lead my family. Am I setting up idols in my home that ivy's going to worship that john malcolm's going to worship am i setting those up am i not getting rid of the things that don't belong in a christian home don't belong in a house of someone who belongs to god am i setting those things up and worshiping these things or am i ridding them and leading my family and worshiping god according to his word some of these principles can apply to corporate worship too do we as a church worship god in our own way Doing whatever seems good to us. I was thinking about this as I was making a budget for this year. Did I just look at last year's calendar and just hit change 2022 to 2023? Or did I look to God's word and say, God, what do you have for me? What am I supposed to do? In corporate worship, as we sing, as we hear God's word, as we pray, are we just doing what seems good to us? Or are we doing what God expects us to according to His Word? Each of us. Each of us. Micah had created his own religious system. Do you do that in your life? Do you create this, or Have you created your own little religious system where you, you've got to do this? Because that's when you worship God. You're not looking to this. You're looking to what you've done. What your tradition is. What your thoughts are. What seems good to you. Micah created his own religious system, and he also employed a Levite sojourner. Micah employed a Levite sojourner. In verse 7, read with me in verse 7. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. Micah offered the Levite housing and employment. What do we know about the Levites? When, When the land was being divided up, how much land did the Levites get? None. Nothing. What was the Levite's inheritance? Does anybody remember? It was the Lord. It was the Lord Himself. The Lord said, I am their inheritance. I will be their inheritance. The Lord Himself was their inheritance. They were the ones who served as priests. They were the ones who ministered to the Lord. And so this Levite sojourning, he's going around, and Micah offers him a job. There's a new ministry position. What's wrong with that? You hear of preachers going to different churches all the time, different ministry positions. What's wrong with the new ministry job, ministry position? The Levite was looking for somewhere to serve. Micah said, hey, you want to come serve with me? God opened the door for him, right? No. Why was the Levite sojourning? Why was, he looking, why was he going around? Why was he looking for somewhere to dwell? If you look in Joshua 21, God gave 48 cities for the Levites to be able to sojourn. Hey, you can go dwell. There's 48 cities among all the tribes of Israel. You can go live in these. Why was he going to look for this place to stay? He shouldn't have been sojourning. He shouldn't have left home. Micah offered him what would have been a decent job with the promise of money, clothes, a house. And the Levite accepted the job. You see that at the end of verse 10. And the Levite went in. What's really sad about this whole encounter is verse 11. What's really sad is verse 11. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. He was content to dwell with the man. He was insensitive to his apostasy. He was insensitive to the fact that he had fallen away from God. That He was not walking with God. This was not just this Levite. Israel was insensitive to their spiritual idolatry. An ordained officer of the tabernacle was willingly serving in a house of idols. That would be like if tomorrow Brother Charlie just goes and, to a Hindu temple and just says, hey, I'll serve here. That would, what, did you hear what Brother Charlie did? What is, what's he doing? It's It's unfathomable. Yet this is what was taking place here. An ordained officer of the tabernacle was now willingly serving in a house of idols. And he felt no shame. He was content to dwell with the man. He was content to dwell with Micah. And that's the danger about ignoring the commands of God. That's the danger about not knowing God's Word. Is because if we ignore the commands of God, if we don't know His Word, and we're living our lives just however we want to do it, We're just living lives our own way. We can enter a place where we become numb to God, feel no conviction, no shame of sin in our lives. If you continuously ignore the commands of God in your life, there will come a time in your life where you will be perfectly okay with sin and sinning in your life. I'm having... Our students who are going to Super Summer memorize 1 John 1, and if you're second year and above, they're memorizing 1 John 1 and 2. And in 1 John 1, it talks about if we say we walk in the light, if we say we have the light, or we say we're in Christ, and while we're walking in darkness, we're lying. We're making God a liar. The truth's not in us. If we're saying that we're obeying the commands of God, yet we never pick up our Bible, we never obey the commands of God. We, we, we think because we're around Christian people, we're in this building, we come somewhat regularly, if that makes us a Christian, then yeah I'm obeying the commands of God, yet the Bible has no effect on your daily life. You don't know what it means to worship God because you're not reading His Word to see what it means to worship God. And we can become really numb, unaware that we have sin in our lives. We must take the word of God seriously, looking to his word to see how we are to live, how we are to worship. Israel repeatedly rejected God and they had no conviction about their sin. Not only was the Levite content to dwell with a man, but further we see that Micah ordained him as a priest. Micah ordained this Levite as a priest. Micah had no right to do that. He had no right to ordain this Levite as a priest. And this Levite had no right to accept it. He had no right. The Levites were set apart for service to God. Yet here this Levite is in the house of Micah serving him as a priest instead. The Levite should have been at the temple of the Lord serving the Lord. Not at the house of Micah serving Micah. All this goes back to the fact that in verse 6 there was no king in Israel and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did whatever they felt like doing. What seemed good to them. Micah sought to manipulate God. Verse 13 reveals his intent. Verse 13 says then Micah said, "Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Oh, I got one of those guys that serves the Lord. God's yeah, God's going to bless me now." I've got a Levite as a priest. Yeah, God is going to bless me. I know that God is going to prosper me. No. <laughs> no. Micah thought that having a Levite as a priest would cause God to bless him. Micah may have even thought that, hey, you know, I've got this house of gods. I'm, I'm doing these religious things. God sent a Levite my way. God's blessing me. But really, the Levite shouldn't have been there. and So Micah should not think that the Levite was a blessing from God. This whole thing is completely messed up. And what does it stem from? It stems from that everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes because nobody was looking to the Word of God. Rather than seeking the Lord according to the terms of the covenant, Micah sets up his own religious system to provoke God's favor. God has told us what's pleasing to Him. Why do we spend so much time... Trying to use our own efforts to try to please God. We can't please God. The Bible tells us that our best is like filthy rags. Yet, so many times in my life, and I know in each of your lives, you spend a lot of your effort trying to please God, just doing things. Oh, yeah, God will be okay with that. That'll please God. And we ignore what God's told us that will please Him. Micah had built his own religious system and worshiped the things that He created. He created this religious environment, and he sought to control and manipulate God for his own benefit. And then if you read in, verse eight, in chapter 18, I told you at the beginning, chapters 17 and 18 should be read together. So go home today and read chapters 17 and 18. Read what happens next. Everything's taken away from Micah. Everything's taken away. Even the priest, even the Levite goes. It's all taken away. Micah's goal for his self-made religious system is revealed in verse 13. For God to prosper him through his idolatrous efforts. Micah thought he was pleasing God through his own efforts. When really everything done in this chapter reveals the total spiritual idolatry and abandonment from God that was taking place in Israel. And Lately, I've been thinking about a lot of the things I do. In my personal life, with my family, in my ministry... I'm thinking a lot about the things I do. Am am I just living life in a way that seems good to me? Or am I diligently searching the Scriptures to see what God has commanded me to do and then submitting my life to the authority of the Scriptures and living according to how God's Word says? I often ask myself, do I know God's Word? Do you know God's Word? I ask myself this question a lot. I've been in church my whole life. I grew up in Sunday school, My mom was over Bible drills, so I didn't have a choice. I did Bible drills. I've been on mission trips. I've served overseas for a couple months in Portugal. I've done things around the church, been in on events. I just graduated from seminary with a Master of Divinity. And I just still ask myself, do I know God's Word and am I obeying God's Word? I can look at my life and say, yeah, look at all you've done. But the things I do, am I looking to God's Word Daily. Am I abiding in Christ daily, looking to God, saying, God, how can I please you? How can my life be lived for you? My life verse is Philippians 121. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, not to do whatever I want to do, but to live for Christ. I heard someone say once, a lot of people would say that they would die for the cause of Christ, but they really wouldn't even live for it. You may say, yeah, I'll die for Christ. Are you living for Christ? You're alive now. Do you say, as Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. Am I leading my family in the way that God has commanded me to lead them? Are you leading your family? Dads, men in this room, are you leading your family? Your kids that are still in the house with you? Your adult kids who have families of their own? Are you leading your family According to the way that God has commanded you to lead them. Or are you just doing what seems good to them? Are you just trying to get them to be good kids, to grow up, to be decent people? Have a good job and just not cause any trouble? Lead your kids to know the Word of God. To worship God. To live according to God. To live a life that is pleasing to God. Not yourself, but to God. I like things my way. And I've got to be careful. I'm not raising my son just to be another version of me. I don't want that. I want my my kid to look like Jesus, not me. Do you want the same? How do we know how to do that? By looking to the Word of God. Do you study the Word of God? Do you know God's words? Do you know His commands? And are you obeying them? I remember when I went to ask my father-in-law for Ivy's hand in marriage. He asked me, he said, well, I got one thing to ask you. Do you love the Lord with all your heart Soul, mind, and strength. I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm not worried about the rest because I know everything will fall into place. Are you loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's the priority. Because when you do that, everything else will fall into place. You'll lead your family the way you need to lead them. You'll live for Christ the way you need to. Your work environment will be different. You'll just openly talk about Jesus. You won't be worried about anything else, because when you're talking with your coworkers, if you're loving the Lord with all your heart, you're just overflowing, just, just coming Jesus. Is Jesus just coming out? Am I leading my ministry the way that God intends? Or do I just look to the previous year and just, okay, I did that event, I need to do that event again. Do I look to last year's calendar? Do I look to the budget? Do I look to what you expect of this position? Or do I look to God's word and say, this is what God's word says. Am I leading my ministry the way that God intends for me to lead my ministry? Or am I just doing what seems good to me? That is a burden. That is a conviction that I must look at. Church, we must not simply do what seems good to us while ignoring or even just picking and choosing which commands we want to obey and which ones we don't. God has given us his entire word and we are to obey his entire word. It's really easy to get caught up in the routine of life and ministry, thinking that God has pleased what we do just because we slap the name Jesus on it. That's clearly not the case as we see in verses 3 and 4 of or Judges 17. Mike and his mother, they bless the Lord. They offer idols in the name of the Lord. God's not pleased with that. Are you just attaching Jesus to what you do and thinking God's okay with that? Or are you looking to God's word and living your life from what he has said? God has so graciously given us his word that we might know him. We might worship him. But might know how to live godly lives. Don't take that for granted this year. Don't take it for granted this year. Church, I challenge you, at the start of a new year, it's a new year. Take a fresh, start fresh. Study the scriptures diligently. And obey them. Do not settle for what seems good to you. Don't just do what seems good. Do what is good according to God. Learn what's pleasing to God. Learn what God expects for your life, for your family, for your work, for your church. And do what God has instructed you to do. Study your Bible. Learn God's Word. Read it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Sing it. Pray it. Why? So we can be smarter? No. Because God's Word points us to God. So that we can know Him. So we can worship Him. Teach it to your family. It's a great opportunity. It's a Sunday afternoon. After we leave church, dads, go home. Pick you up one of these Bible reading plans. Pick up the Word of God and just read it with your family. Read it individually. Live your life like it depends on the Word of God. Because it does. Don't live your life in a way that just seems right in your own eyes. Study God's Word. Know His commands. Abide in Him. Submit your life to Him. And live according to how He commands, not how it seems good to you. Father, as we come before you this morning, after hearing your word, God, I pray that you will just work in the hearts of your people. God, stirring your people to a greater commitment to you, to your word, to abide in you, to love you, to worship you, to live for you, God. God, would you stir in the hearts of unbelievers that may be here, call them to repentance, to salvation. Call them to Jesus. God, would you raise us up? God, for so long I know myself and I know I'm not the only one. God, we just do what seems good to us. It's it's so easy to not look to your word, to ignore your commands because we think we know them well enough or we, we have a good understanding. And so we just don't look to your word, but we look to what we think we know is best. But God, may we look to your word Your word is what is to govern our lives. Your word points us to you. You've given us your word, God. May we be faithful stewards to study it. May you work in each of our lives to where your word is sufficient. God, your word is sufficient. May each of us realize that. May we all taste and see that the Lord is good. May we look to you day in, day out, Lord. Looking unto Jesus, following after you not just doing life however we want to do it, but God, realizing that there's a lost world around us of people who do not know you. And God, your word commands us to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. So God, may we make the best use of this year by studying your word, by living according to it. Would you work in our hearts now as we respond to you and may you be pleased with this time. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen.